0: Tonight's scripture on which the preaching is based comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' uh, outline of what uh, he wants his people to live like in the world. Another way to put it is, Jesus says here that if we take the essential message of of the uh, Christian faith, the gospel, and actually live it out, it will not only make us different individuals, radically different people, but it'll turn us into a counterculture. It'll turn us into a, a, a completely new kind of human society. The, the subjects that Jesus treats as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, um, sex, money tonight, power, uh, usually at the beginning of a sermon, your job in the introduction is to show people that what I'm about to tell you is relevant to you. I, I, this, the intro is over already, because when you talk about sex, money, and power, you see it's compelling, it's, it's relevant. But what Jesus says about every one of these subjects is so counterintuitive, you begin to realize that if any community of people ever took very seriously what he was saying, it would make us into uh, a human society like no other one on the face of the earth. Now, here he's talking about money, and let's notice three things about money let's notice from his teaching. It's a very famous passage. And as actually I was working on it and preaching on it already today, I've been thinking about how, how um, I don't know, seminal this has been in my own life, this particular passage. It's pretty well known. He's going to tell us here how money can blind us, how money can reveal what controls us. And then he shows us how to break the power of money in our lives, how to break its power over us. So How it blinds us, how it reveals what controls us, and how we can break the power of money over us. So, uh, how it blinds us. Let's first look at the middle section. It's like a sandwich, you see. Let's look at the middle section. Verse 22 and 23, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What's that? Well, it's an image. It's not that hard to see. If you are in a room filled with light, you can walk around the furniture, (laughs) you can step in a way that uh, uh, will help you navigate the uh, room. If it's totally dark, if it's completely pitch dark in there, you'll stumble maybe and fall. But even if the light's on and your eye doesn't work, if your eye is blind, that is to say, if your eye is dark, it's as if your whole body's in darkness anyway and you'll fall anyway. And so what it's saying is... (laughs) Uh, If your eye is dark, your body is always in darkness. You say, okay, I get it, fine. What's that got to do with money? And it must have something to do with money. Because before he's talking about money and after he's talking about money, so what is he doing this blindness thing right here in the middle? And the answer is pretty obvious. Money blinds us. In fact, by the way, the word, if your eyes are good, that word for good has a double meaning. It means open, and that means it can mean physically open, but it's also a word that means generous. And what he says is, if your eyes are dark, uh, money can blind us. Let me let me give you three reasons. You say, well, how does money blind us? Well, first of all, money blinds us to its influence. It's very influence in our lives. Uh, I when you most sins, you know when you're doing them. Do you know when you're lying? Sure, you know when you're lying. Do you know when you're lusting? Yeah, you know when you're lusting. Do you know if you? Blown up and spoken abusively to somebody. Yeah, you know that. Okay? You know that. But what about this? Um, the words that the Bible uses, the words that Jesus uses for uh, money sin, we've got some kind of uh, Teflon coating over us. It never seems to strike us. So, for example, he talks about greed. Bible, uh, Jesus talks about greed, covetousness, avarice. And we say, not moi. No, no yeah greed, sure, Scrooge, Bob Cratchit, I would have given him a raise. i wouldn't have gone twenty years without giving him a raise of so uh right away, no, no, not me, not me, um and yet basically, what the Bible says is this is the money sin it's the money sin is a selfish use of money, it 's a selfish use of money, and Jesus is talking about this so often he must he talks about it much more than he talks about lust, so it must be a rampant sin, and yet. Nobody thinks it's true of them, or not very many people. Uh, some years ago, uh, I was doing a series. Uh, uh, it was a morning, on, in, a morning in, this, in Midtown. I was doing a series on the seven deadly sins. And each week, I would speak on one of the seven deadly sins, and people would come out. And I remember Kathy said to me, she says, you watch. Your biggest attendance will be for lust, and your smallest attendance will be for greed. And she was right. Why? because nobody thinks it's true of them. Nobody does. Uh, Jesus in Luke 12 said, watch out, be on guard for all forms of greed. Watch out for greed. Now, Jesus tells us to to flee sexual temptation, but he never says, watch out because you might be committing adultery because you know what? You know you're committing adultery. You say, say, "Yeah," Uh, but he says, "Watch out for greed." Why? It hides itself. You say, "Well, how?" All right. Point two uh, under this heading: Uh, greed. uh, Pardon me. Money has the power to blind us to its influence in our lives. Especially, money has it has the power to blind us to our lifestyle choices. It has the power to blind us to our lifestyle choices. How? Well. Uh, let's just, let's context, let, let's let's look at where we live today. Uh, we live in such a, a society in which we are bombarded with keen knowledge of the various, this, every product we have, you can get a better one or a worse one. You ever notice that? Everything. Everything from toothbrush to toothpaste to, you know, electronics to furnishings to clothing to uh, accessories to uh, 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 technology, to entertainment, you can, always, you, can always do, you can always go up and spend a little bit more higher quality, you know, more bells and whistles are down, and therefore there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no one product. There's always 50 versions of a particular product, and you know exactly the kind you can afford. And you're very aware of the one just a little bit higher than the one you have. And what happens is as soon as a little bit of money comes into your life, a little more income, a gift, you start to do a little bit better. The first time one of your things wears out, you, you, you upgrade. You say, well, I can afford that. And next thing you know, what? Through literally hundreds of microscopic upgrades all the time, you're always maxed out. You're always living out to the edge of your income or a little bit over. And you never feel like you have enough. And you haven't realized what happened. You know, you're making a little bit more. You make a little bit more. You're living a little bit better. You're living a little, living a little bit better. And you don't even know you're doing it. Because you're just upgrading here, upgrading here, upgrading here. And you're, and you're maxed out. And you don't feel like you've got that much. But you do. Why? Because you're blind. <laughs> or let me give you another one. Uh, Judith Shore, who's a, an economist, or she used to be at Harvard. And now she's at Boston College, I think. But anyway, when she was at Harvard, she wrote a book called The Overspent American. And in it, she makes a very interesting point. She says, in our culture, we do not divide ourselves so so much into classes anymore, but into reference groups. Now, what she's saying is, in the the Western society, things have changed. It's not Downton Abbey anymore. We don't have these amazing classes, very stratified with these uh, thick concrete slabs between the classes, and and, and people just don't know each other unless you... Are in your particular class, things have changed. And I'm sure that's good. But what she is saying is, we're no longer in these stratified classes. We live in reference groups. And what she mean by that? She says, for example, let's just say you're in the literary, the urban literary publishing writing reference group. She says, in the re- that reference group, first of all, you have young writer, waiters, and waitresses. Do you know what a writer slash waiter and waitress is? It's a person making 20,000 a years trying to write and waiting on tables. Then you have the English teacher who's writing on the side. The private English teacher makes maybe 40000 a year. The public one makes maybe a little bit more. Then you have the editors and the publishers who are earning maybe six-figure uh, incomes. Then you have the CEOs of the publishers, and you've got the uh, celebrity authors making millions. And they all aspire, she says, to be part of one urban literary referent group. This referent group exerts pressure to drink the same brands of bottled water and wine, to wear the same urban literary clothing, and to fill your apartments with the same urban literary furnishings. Those even making $150,000 a year, therefore, will feel themselves in an untenable position. Why? Because we're not stratified. It means we all rub shoulders or rub elbows with people who we know pretty well who make a lot more and who live a lot better. And as a result, no matter how much you make, you don't feel like you make much. Nobody feels that they're spending too much on themselves. Nobody feels that they're rich except the mayor, probably. <laughs> probably he sits there and says, yeah, I'm rich. But apart, <laughs> but apart from that, nobody else in New York feels rich because they, you know, if you're fairly rich, you hang out with the mayor. I'm not very rich. I don't have as many homes as he does. And that's Okay, yeah, I I knew I'd make you laugh. They laughed at every other service, but but, so, but it's true. It is true. We spend too much on ourselves, and we have no idea we're doing it. Well, here's the test. Do you regularly ask this question? And do you have any friends? that you're willing to ask this question to about yourself, that is to say do you regularly say, am I spending too much money on clothing? am I spending too much money on electronics? on entertainment? on furnishings? am I spending too much could I not really change things so I'd be able to live differently and give a lot more money away? I mean, am I not spending too much money? do you, do you, let somebody- do you ask somebody else? do you show them what you spend? and ask? And you say, I don't ask those kinds of questions I would never ask somebody else those kinds of questions why not? Why won't you look? Because your eye is dark. Because money makes you not want to ask. Because money makes you not want to look. You don't want to look. Or let me just... <clears throat> let, me, uh, let me elongate your, your suffering a little longer with this point. Uh, money actually also has the power to blind you to your, to your work and in your work. Uh, so for example, money has the power... In New York, I see this all the time. Money is the power to get you to take, get into careers that you really don't like, but they make money. You really don't like them, but they make money. They've got prestige and money. And it takes a while for you to realize what you've done. You know why? Because the power of money is such that it draws you in, and you get into the career. And for sometimes for years, you, you feel like, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Why? But it's the thrill of the chase. It's the challenge of making it, of getting in, of of getting that first paycheck, of you know, all that. And then once you actually get out into the flat of your career, you realize, I don't like this at all. Why did I do this? And the answer is money darkened your eyes. You just didn't realize. And you didn't want to know. You didn't want to say, I'm really a lot better for that. I really liked that a lot better. But no, no money, no prestige, can't go there. Money has the power not only to... Uh, blind us to in our choice of work, but it can blind us in our uh, doing our work. For example, do you ever ask this question about your job, about the thing you're producing, about the deal you're making? Do you ever really, really ask these questions like, is this really good for people, what, what my, I'm producing and what my company's producing? Is it good for people? Is it appealing to their better nature or is it actually appealing to their, their worse nature? Is it good for the social fabric? Is it good for the neighborhood? Is it good for the environment? And if you say, I don't know, it's legal, and it makes me money, and I I don't want to go there, I don't want to ask those questions. And you know why you don't want to ask those questions? You don't want to look. You know why you don't want to look? Because your your eye's dark. Money makes you not want to ask. It's got the power. That's why Jesus sticks right in the middle of all this stuff about money. it, It darkens our eyes. And when our eyes are dark, how great is that darkness? Now, Secondly, it also tells us, uh, money also shows us what really controls us. It reveals what really controls us. One thing I've learned in thinking about this passage over the years, and preaching on this passage over the years, is money is one of the best ways for you to get a map of your soul. No, not Google Maps. The way to find, the way to find out how, the way to map your soul is to look at where your money goes. So for example, look, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there is your heart. Or, actually, the end of verse 24, you cannot serve both God and money. When he says, you, they're right to capitalize the word money. Some of, some of you know the old translation says, you cannot serve God or mammon. And mammon is an old Aramaic word which means assets or wealth. But what Jesus is doing is he's personifying money. And he's saying it is a rival God. It is a rival master. It's a rival Lord. And if you want to know something about what really controls you, what your real master is, follow the money. And that, that's back to verse 21. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. Have you ever thought about what that word means? If you want to know where your heart rests if you want to know what your heart serves, if you want to know what you really, really, really rest your life on, what your real meaning in life is, what your real source of self-worth is, see where your money goes most effortlessly, most joyfully. It just flies out of your pockets to those places. I mean, here's two trivial examples. Maybe not too trivial. I mean, let's just say, what, what if you hate sports and baseball but you're a parent and you've got some kids who love baseball So they oh dad, take me to a Yankees game, take me to a Mets game So you go, and when you get there and you see what the, the tickets cost It's just a stab in the heart And you go, oh my goodness, why am I doing this? Isn't there a minor league team on Staten Island? You know, like, <laughs> No, it's got to be the Mets, it's got to be the Yankees So off they go And you're sitting there, you can't believe it. And Why? Well, because it's painful to spend money on the tickets because you don't like baseball, but you do it because you're a good parent. Okay, that's fine. What if you love baseball? What if you are an incredible Yankees fan or a Mets fan? You just love it. You follow every single thing they do. Then when you go and you find, hey, they've raised prices, so what? Pass the hot dog. (laughs) It doesn't feel like you're spending because you... This is something you love. It does, the thing When your heart is resting in something, it doesn't feel like you're spending. You're, the money just flies right out. Uh, just to give a little more, little more self-disclosure, years ago, um, when uh, I was in a, a church in Virginia, and my wife and I and our kids were uh, uh, there, we had very little money. Uh, uh, and for any, but anybody who hears the recording of this sermon... Uh, from Hopewell, Virginia, people who were in my former church, no offense. But anyway, back then, it, I had, we had very little money. And yet every time I saw a book that I really wanted, I just spent money for it. I just bought it. And Kathy and I were always talking about, hey, uh, books, I mean, you know, wait here. And I came to realize something. And that was that a great deal of my self-image, I guess a great deal of my heart rested in the fact that I be perceived as a knowledgeable person. That's part of what makes me feel good about myself. It always has. I know a lot of things. And people say, gee, he knows so many things. So I'd see a book. I mean, that's, you know, my heart's resting in that. So I see a book and I say, oh, if I buy that book, then I'll know about that. And when people ask me about that, I will be knowledgeable. (laughs) And so I need to have that book. And the money just flies out of you, just flies out. Why? Because, Because that's a master. It's something controlling you. It's something that you, it's, yeah, I love Jesus, but basically I need to be seen as a knowledgeable person. And that's why I have to watch how I spend, in fact, I'm not spending my money, it just flies out of my pocket. Now let's get pressing, let's press a few, okay? Enough about me, I would like to make you miserable too. (laughs) Why does, for some of you, why does money just fly out of your pocket or pocketbook toward your appearance? Toward what you put on your body, toward how you look. Why is body image that important to you? Why is love and romance, or even the prospect of other romance, that important to you? Why are you that upset about how you look? And that anxious about it? Why do you, why do you find... I, I, you, you really don't even feel like spending. You've, if, you, if you don't control it, you just spend way too much money. Why? For in some of your cases, for example... Okay, some of you are sitting there saying... Well, I sock my money away into savings and investments. I don't put money into big homes or big apartments or put money on, you know, my body, with the clothing and all that. Oh, no. And, it, and you feel, by the way, proud of that. Um, you know, you're thrifty, you're frugal, and you have all this money in, in investments, but you're not giving that away either. Why? Why? Where's your heart? Where's your real security? Your money is a way of controlling. You're, you feel like now I've got control over my life. Approval isn't so important. People thinking I look nice isn't so important. People thinking that you're knowledgeable isn't so important. What is really important is that I'm in control. No matter what happens, I'm ready for it. But what's going on? Follow the money. Money has become your your security, not God. Knowledge has become your significance, not God. Beauty has become your significance, not God. Do you want to know where your real salvations are, your real gods, your real masters? Follow the money. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart really lives. Does your money just fly out of your pocket toward the poor, toward ministry, toward the things that God cares about? No, it flies into your savings or it flies into your clothing or it flies into your home. It flies all kinds of places because those are your real masters. Do you see... That money is the chain that enslaves you to the real things that drive you, the real things. Now, point three, how do we break the power of money over us? And Jesus is actually very explicit. I'm very happy to show you. He's very, very practical. He tells us, first of all, you have to locate your true treasure, and then you have to relocate your true treasure. You have to locate it and then you have to relocate it. Now, where does he say that? First, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, we've actually already begun to explain how this works. What does it mean to locate your treasure? Dallas Willard, who wrote a pretty good book on the Termin on the Mount. It's called Divine Conspiracy. When he gets to this spot, this is what he says. He's a philosophy professor. He says... Everyone has treasures. It is an essential part of being human. A main part of intimacy between two persons is precisely the mutual knowledge of their treasures. To discuss our treasurings and our treasures is to deal with the fundamental structure of your soul. All right? So the first thing you need to recognize is that you've got things that you treasure and, and, and it really tells you who you are and who you, what your identity is and what your hope is. But So you need to realize that they're out there and those things are not God. There are other things. We've already started to help you understand that but the other thing Jesus says is I want you to see that the reason why your life is so fragile is because you've treasured those things. He literally says do not, this is what he actually says in the Greek, it says do not treasure up for yourself treasures on heaven. Do not treasure, pardon me. Do not treasure treasures on earth. That's what he says. Do not treasure treasures on earth. That is to say when it comes to earthly things, don't treasure them. Why? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. One of the reasons just just a tiniest footnote. One of the reasons he talks about this is because you and I tend to think of money in terms of bank accounts, currency, um, bank accounts but back then your assets were much were not currency they were, they were physical things usually rust by the way is a word that can mean mildew and decay as well as rust and the reason for moths is because your clothing was a big part of your assets uh, when you got a garment or a coat you had it your whole life and you passed it on fashions didn't change and they were extremely expensive to make garments were far more expensive back then than they are now That's the whole reason why, you know, Jesus can talk about giving your cloak as a a surety and that kind of thing. And so what Jesus is trying to say is, if your treasures are earthly things, you're always going to be worried, you're always going to be insecure, you're always going to be fragile because of the moths, because of the rust, and because of the thieves. Now, nobody has ever put this better than David Foster Wallace, the late author, who, uh, in his Kenyon College commencement speech, said this. Listen carefully. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out. You see, Jesus says, if you treasure being seen as smart, you will always feel stupid. If you treasure looking good, you will always feel ugly. If you treasure literal treasures, you will always feel poor. If that's your security, you will always feel insecure. And therefore, the, the, the fragility of your life, the ups and downs of your life, the anxiety, the fears, the anger, it's coming because you treasure earthly things. Earthly treasures are your treasures. See that you've done that. See which things you've done that with, too. That's the first step. Extremely important. But then the second step, most important, is now, okay, relocate your treasure. Jesus tells you what to do. He says, but rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What he's saying is, go get a source of meaning and self-worth and security and hope that is not subject to circumstances. That no thief can steal. That no person on earth can stop. That nothing else can change. But then you'll be totally, solidly secure. Well, you say, how do you do that? What does it mean to, to get treasure in heaven, to relocate your treasure? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 2, for example, he says, Christ, Colossians 2, 3, Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid. Well, where is Christ, this great treasure? He's in heaven. Because in chapter 3, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. But maybe my favorite place where, where the New Testament writers explain what Jesus is meaning is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, To you who believe, he is precious. And actually, he uses the noun form. He actually, Peter actually says, To you who believe, he is preciousness. He is, he is the ultimate treasure. Now, how do you begin to treasure Jesus? He said, Well, I believe in Jesus. That's not the same thing. You can believe in Jesus, you can believe very firmly in Jesus, and your heart are treasuring other things. And that's the reason why you're so afraid of the moths and the rust and the thieves. And it's the reason why you've got the fragility in your life and the instability in your life. It's not enough to believe in Christ. That's not to treasure him. To treasure him is what? Well, he tells you, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will love the one and despise the other. They're mutually exclusive. If you want to stop treasuring and loving one thing, you can't just believe in Jesus. You have to love him. You have to be in love with him. You have to be dazzled. Your heart has to be dazzled by him. It has to be amazed by him. It's got to be, sometimes you've got to be weeping for joy at the sight of him. So here's what Jesus is saying Unless you've got me, you're not really rich because I'm the only currency that cannot be devalued. And unless you've got me, you'll never be successful because I'm the only status. My love is the one, one success and the one status that you can never lose. So he says, Relocate. Treasure me. I want you to know that everybody in this room needs to understand. You say, well, I don't know if I believe in Christ. Well, you need to believe in him. But if you say, well, I do believe in Christ, that's not good enough. You've got to treasure him. And, you know, David Foster Wallace actually says something in the middle. I actually left something out in the middle of his speech when he says, if you worship money and things, if there were your tap real meaning, you'll never have enough. So if you, set your, if you treasure money, you'll always feel poor. If you treasure beauty, you'll always feel ugly. And then in the middle of this, he says, on one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, and it's the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick, though, is keeping the truth up front daily in daily consciousness. He says, you know you shouldn't be setting your heart on these things, that they're going to drive you, they're going to disappoint you. But the real trick, he says, is keeping in daily consciousness. Well, I don't know how he did it or how anybody else does it, but I can tell you what we have to do. To treasure Christ so that you're finally safe, so that your treasure is finally safe from the moth and the rust and the thieves, goes like this You need to see why he came to earth. He had all the treasure, he had all the status, he had all the security, he had all the honor. He had all the beauty, he had all the wealth, as it were. He was in heaven, he had all those treasures. Why did he come to earth? There must have been something that he treasured so much he was willing to leave it behind. I mean, that's the only reason you would, he'd come to earth. There must have been something that he didn't have in heaven that was so important. He treasured it so much he was willing to leave all those other things behind to come here. Because he did leave it behind. He was born in a manger. He was a poor he was poor. His parents, when they got circumcised, offered two turtle, two two pigeons. It was like a, a uh, you know the lowest, only the poorest people gave that as their offering. Jesus was born into poverty. He lived homeless. He had only one garment, only one possession. He said, "Foxes have holes, birds have nests. the Son of man has nowhere to lay his head." He died in a. You know, he was, he was buried in a, in a borrowed tomb. He had nothing. He left all of his treasures behind. Why? For us. We're his treasure. 1 Peter 2, 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's own possession. But the word means treasures. And when you see Jesus Christ dying naked, dying with nothing, losing everything. When you see Jesus Christ treasuring you. When you see Jesus Christ making you his treasure, that will make him your treasure. That's the only thing that will make him your treasure. It's the only thing that will bring your heart away from all these other things, and it'll, you'll, you'll start to treasure him, and then you'll be free. You know why? Because then money just becomes money. It's not treasure anymore. It's not, it's not your means to, to all these things. It just becomes money. It's just money because you've got what you want in Christ. And then, oh my goodness, what you could do with your money. How much less addicted you are to spending it on all these things that you think are going to bring meaning in your life. When Christ brings meaning in your life, money becomes money. Got it? Let me close with this. Have you heard of the tithe? All through the Bible, it talks about you should give at least 10% of your money to charity, to the poor, to the church. Give it away. At least, that's the bottom line. It's like, you know, Or more, but I mean, at at least 10%. Does that seem like an enormous amount to you? Does that seem unrealistic, outrageous to you? Then Christ is not real to your heart, even if you believe in him up here. It's just not real to your heart. If you say, that's crazy, I've got things to do with my money. Well, he's not your treasure. he He might be someone you believe in, but he's not your treasure. If you loved him, you'd have no trouble giving away an awful lot of your money and refusing to spend so much on yourself. I'm sorry to be that frank. But I think that's what the text demands. And you know what? You can do it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, (laughs) another convicting word from your Son that just uh, lays our hearts bare. We are stripped bare and we see ourselves and we ask, Lord, that, that you would just, as we take up the tokens of the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus Christ, your son, and we recognize that he made us his treasure. We pray that you would help us treasure him in our hearts right now and therefore become more and more free to live lives of service and sacrifice here on earth and joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.